Decision Podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org law. People v. Marcus Brown, decided November 21, 2023. Rivera, J. Defendant stole money at gunpoint from his aunt in the presence of his 10-year-old cousin for which he pleaded guilty to, interalia, the unlawful imprisonment of the child. For this crime, New York requires that he register as a sex offender and comply with the Sex Offender Registration Act, SOIA. It is undisputed that the crime was non-sexual and that the SORA court found that defendant is not a sex offender and poses no sexual threat. Nevertheless, the courts below felt constrained by People v. Knox to impose SORA requirements. Defendant contends that the holdings in Knox and its companion cases are distinguishable and do not control his as-applied challenge. We agree and conclude that requiring defendant to register violates his due process rights and is nothing to further the legislative purpose of SORA to protect the public from actual sex offenders. The order of the appellate division should be reversed. 1. Defendant Marcus Brown pleaded guilty to robbery in the first degree, Penal Law Section 160.154, and other counts including, as relevant to this appeal, unlawful imprisonment in the first degree, Section 135.10, based on allegations that he robbed his aunt at gunpoint in her home where his 10-year-old cousin was present. Unlawful imprisonment of a minor when the offender is not the parent of the victim is a SORA-eligible crime and brings defendant within the statutory definition of sex offender which, in turn, subjects defendant to mandatory sex offender registration, even where the crime, in fact, lacks a sexual act or motive, and where defendant poses no risk of future harm to children. Prior to defendant's release from incarceration, the Board of Examiners of Sex Offenders, Board, prepared a case summary and risk assessment instrument, and assessed 90 points against defendant, for a presumptive level 2, moderate, risk to reoffend designation. In advance of the SORA proceedings, the Department of Corrections and Community Supervision, DOCS, indicated that it had determined that defendant need not be referred to any sex counseling and treatment program due to the non-sexual nature of the offense committed. Before the SORA court, defendant claimed, in part, that requiring him to register as a sex offender for a crime with no sexual conduct or motivation was unconstitutional as applied to him and defied the purpose of the registry. Defendant argued that People v. Knox and its companion cases were distinguishable on the grounds that his cousin was not the target of the offense and his cousin was not abused, abducted, or detained for days. The prosecution conceded that defendant's offense had no sexual component, but nevertheless argued that registration was mandatory under Knox and that the court should designate defendant a level 2 risk. Based on the record, the SORA court found that defendant's sole motivation was to steal money and that the offense involved no sexual contact or motivation whatsoever. The court further found that defendant was not a sex offender and that he posed no risk of sexual threat at all. Nevertheless, the court determined that it was constrained by state law under Knox to mandate defendant's registration. But the court granted defendant a downward departure to level 1 the lowest risk level under SORA because the board greatly overestimated defendant's risk of being a sexual offender. The appellate division affirmed, concluding that defendant's constitutional challenge was without merit, 
citing Knox and departmental precedent, citing People v. Marshall, People v. Douglas, People v. Suarez, People v. Edney, People v. Taylor. We granted leave to appeal, and now reverse. 2. Defendant's due process as applied challenge. Defendant claims that requiring him to register as a sex offender when he never engaged in sexual misconduct is not rationally related to the government's interest in protecting the public from sex offenders. He maintains that his underlying offense is factually distinguishable from Knox and its companion cases because defendant committed a financially motivated robbery in which the child victim was related to him, was not the target of the crime, was not abducted, and was detained only for a short period of time. Further, defendant asserts that the Knox court's concerns about dangerous sex offenders escaping registration do not apply to him because, here, there was an uncontested judicial finding that he presents no sexual risk. In response, the district attorney relies on Knox as controlling precedent and asserts that in that case the court found a rational relationship between the state's goal of protecting children and SORA's automatic registration of persons convicted of kidnapping-related offenses, even where the offense lacks a sexual component. As the term implies, an as-applied challenge calls on the court to consider whether a statute can be constitutionally applied to the defendant under the facts of the case, People v. Stewart. We agree with defendant that the sex offender designation and SORA's mandatory registration as applied to him is not rationally related to SORA's purpose of protecting the public from sex offenders and thus violates his due process rights. A. SORA labels as sex offenders all persons convicted of a kidnapping offense, provided the victim of such kidnapping-related offense is less than 17 years old and the offender is not the parent of the victim. Correction Law Section 168A. 1, 2, a, i, citing Penal Law Sections 135.05, Second Degree Unlawful Imprisonment, 135.10, First Degree Unlawful Imprisonment, 135.20, Second Degree Kidnapping, 135.25, First Degree Kidnapping. In Knox and its two companion cases, the court rejected a constitutional challenge to these provisions. Thus, we must first determine whether the holding and rationale of Knox foreclosed defendants' claim. All three appeals in Knox involved defendants subject to SORA as a result of their convictions for attempted or completed child kidnapping and unlawful imprisonment crimes even though there was no proof that their crimes involved any sexual act or motive. The defendant in Knox was convicted after she approached an eight-year-old girl in a park and tried to pull her away apparently in an attempt to replace her own child after recently losing custody. Knox pleaded guilty to attempted kidnapping. In People v. Centron, the defendant had a long history of violent conduct, including sexual violence and a conviction for sexual misconduct based on forced intercourse with a 16-year-old. The defendant locked his girlfriend and her two children inside their apartment for several days after an argument and was convicted of unlawful imprisonment of each child. In People v. Jackson, the defendant abducted and threatened to kill the son of a woman if she did not continue to work for him as a prostitute. Like Knox, he pleaded guilty to attempted kidnapping. The defendants each challenged their SORA designations on substantive due process grounds. The court concluded that the defendants had a constitutionally protected liberty interest for purposes of substantive due process in not being required to register under an incorrect label. The court further concluded that because this interest was not fundamental in the constitutional sense, 
the defendant's constitutional claims were subject to deferential rational basis review. Under that test, the law must be rationally related to a legitimate governmental interest. The court held that mandatory sex offender registration of non-parent defendants convicted of kidnapping or unlawful imprisonment of victims under 17 years old is rationally related to the legitimate governmental interest of protecting minors from those who have shown themselves capable of committing sex crimes against children. The court explained that the legislature passed SORA to comply with the Jacob Wetterling Crimes Against Children and Sexually Violent Offender Registration Act, which, in part, Condition federal funding on the state's enactment of a system to register sexual offenders and persons who commit crimes against children. The court noted that the federal law does not require the sex offender designation of persons convicted of kidnapping and unlawful imprisonment of children but instead that was the New York legislature's choice. Applying the rational basis test to that legislative decision to include all persons convicted of these crimes within SORA's reach. Even if there was no proof of a defendant's sexual act or motive, the court reasoned that the legislature could rationally have relied on the fact that a great many cases of kidnapping or unlawful imprisonment of children are indeed sex offenses. In support, the court cited two studies, a 1990 finding that about two-thirds or so of the non-family abductions studied involve sexual assaults, citing David Finkel or et al., missing, abducted, runaway, and thrown away children in America and a 2002 update that found a lower rate of 46% of the non-family abductions studied involved a perpetrator who sexually assaulted the child, id, citing David Finkel or et al., U.S. Department of Justice, National Incident Studies of Missing, Abducted, Runaway, and Thrown Away Children, Non-Family Abducted Children, National Estimates and Characteristics. The court acknowledged that these studies referred to actual sex crimes but opined, without any supporting citation or resource, that the legislature could rationally have found that the statistics understate the problem and that in many cases the offender intends a sexual assault but is thwarted by an arrest or the victim's escape. And further, that the legislature could have found that a child cut off from familiar surroundings is vulnerable to sexual abuse even if the offender's sexual desires are not the motive of the crime. The court hypothesized that a kidnapper may plan to prostitute a child, or may seize an unplanned for opportunity to do so. Thus, according to the court, the legislature had a rational basis for concluding that, in the large majority of cases where people kidnap or unlawfully imprison other people's children, the children either are sexually assaulted or are in danger of sexual assault. The court also concluded that the legislature could have considered not only that cases where the term, sex offender, is unmerited or few, but also that the process of separating those cases from the majority in which it is justified is difficult, cumbersome and prone to error. It could rationally have found that the administrative burden, and the risk that some dangerous sex offenders would escape registration, justified a hard and fast rule, with no exceptions. According to the court, the defendants suffer no worse injustice being called sex offenders instead of child predators. Knox is distinguishable from defendant's case. First, and most significantly, the Sora court here expressly found that defendant is not a sex offender, that the child involved was not even the target of the crime, was not physically or sexually abused, and not kidnapped or detained for any prolonged period of time, that there was no sexual contact or motivation on the defendant's part at all, and that he posed no risk of sexual threat at all.
No such finding was made with respect to any of the defendants in the Knox appeals, whose crimes although not sexually motivated provided some basis to conclude that each of those defendants posed a future risk of sexual harm to children. Though not elucidated in the court's opinion, the Knox defendant was homeless and suffered from substance abuse and extensive psychiatric issues. Taking the child was her objective, and if Knox had been successful in her attempt to kidnap and remove her from the safety of everyday surroundings, the child indeed could have been left vulnerable to sexual abuse or exploitation. The defendants in Centron and Jackson were both willing to leverage children and put them in harm's way in order to exert control over their mothers in Jackson's case, to make her perform sexually. Centron also clearly posed a risk of sexual harm to children because he had a prior conviction for the sexual assault of a minor. Each of them posed a risk of sexual harm to those, or other, children. Unlike the Knox defendants, defendants sought only to steal money from his end. As the Sora court found, the child was not a target of the robbery, he just happened to be home when defendant broke in. Defendant's cousin was merely in the wrong place at the wrong time. Indeed, based on the lack of a sexually motivated crime, docs determined that defendant was not eligible to participate in the sex offender counseling and treatment program while in prison. The Sora court acknowledged that determination, and, based on the totality of the circumstances, concluded that defendant is not a sexual threat. Apart from these critical factual differences between defendant's case and the Knox trio of appeals, none of the Knox rationales apply to defendant's circumstances. Although the Knox court cited data at the time Sora was enacted and thereafter that found a likelihood of sexual assault in non-family abductions, the underlying offense here was not a non-family abduction, defendant was the child's blood relative. As the court acknowledged, those studies reported actual sex offenses, and here the crime was a robbery with no sexual conduct or motive. Thus, these studies do not support a sex offender designation for defendant, nor is there support to be found in the Knox Court's observation that a child cut off from the safety of their everyday surroundings is vulnerable to sexual abuse even if the offender's desires are not the motive of the crime. It is undisputed that defendant never removed the child from his home. Unlike the child grabbed at a playground in Knox, who the defendant intended to make her own, the children in Centron who were kept captive in their apartment for days, and the child in Jackson who was abducted upon threat of being killed if his mother did not agree to the demands of that defendant, here defendant's cousin, as the Sora court found, was not kidnapped or detained for any prolonged period of time and the cousin's detention did not put him at risk of a sexual assault. The child was not cut off from his everyday surroundings nor at risk of sexual violence as was the case in Centron where the defendant had previously been convicted of forced sexual intercourse with a minor, or Jackson where the defendant profited from facilitating prostitution. In both of those cases the record supported a finding of the respective defendant's risk of future sexual harm to children. Here, there was no past sexual offense and an affirmative judicial finding that defendant posed no future risk. Six, there were no such findings in Knox. It is one thing to say that the legislature may cast a wide net by employing over-inclusive terms to include within SORA's reach those who commit a non-sexual crime but nonetheless present a future risk of sexual harm to children. It is another to say that there can be no remedy for those whose crime did not involve a sexual act or motive, in no way targeted a child, and who pose no future risk of sexual harm. Contrary to the dissent's presumption, Knox held that the former was constitutionally permissible, 
but it did not close the door on a judicial remedy for those who are undisputedly not a sexual danger to children. The court in Knox focused on each defendant's underlying SORA-eligible crime as a basis for a legislative determination that they could be labeled as sex offenders without inflicting constitutional harm. We cannot say that is true of defendant here. Defendant is one of the few individuals, recognized by the Knox court, for whom the sex offender designation is unmerited, Knox. Knox never held that a person who is found to pose no risk of sexual harm to children can have no judicial remedy for the constitutional harm inflicted simply because it is administratively convenient. It is precisely because there is a factual finding of defendant's lack of risk, a finding which we have no power to disturb that defendants as applied challenge must succeed. The SORA court is tasked with determining each defendant's future risk of sexual offense based on the court's assessment, Johnson explaining that the SORA court is to make its determination after considering, the board's, recommendation, and any other materials properly before it. Were this not so, there would be no need for a hearing where the defendant has an opportunity to present evidence and opposing arguments regarding their likelihood of recidivism, and for the court to make a legal determination based on the party's submissions. By suggesting that the SORA court in this case went well beyond the statutory framework when acknowledging defendants' lack of risk, the dissent appears to discourage SORA courts from making such findings. Members of the judiciary should decline the dissenters' invitation to ignore their constitutional duties and statutory fact-finding responsibilities. As the court in Knox recognized, a sex offender designation imposes a stigma that broadly impacts a defendant's life and ability to participate in society. But, the court reasoned, that stigma is no worse than that associated with being labeled a child predator. That reasoning cannot support designating defendant a sex offender where his crime is not sexual in nature and his conduct provides no basis to predict risk of future sexual harm. The stigma of this misdesignation unconstitutionally impacts defendant's liberty interest in a criminal designation that rationally frits his conduct and public safety risk. Lastly, Imposing SORA requirements on this defendant does not further the protection of the community against people who have shown themselves capable of committing sex crimes the purpose of SORA, Knox. Put another way, the concerns we identified in Knox are not present here in light of the SORA court's findings. Defendant committed a terrible crime, but he has not shown himself to be capable of committing sex crimes. The law should not mislead the public into thinking otherwise by listing him in the registry alongside rapists and child molesters. In sum, the core holding and reasoning in Knox does not control here where defendant's criminal behavior and his lack of future risk of sexual harm to children distinguish him from the Knox defendants. The Knox court's conclusion that designating those three defendants as sex offenders and mandating their SOAR registration was rationally related to the government's interest in protecting children from sexual assault lacks force here, where defendant's offense belies any such threat. Where a SOAR court expressly finds that there was no sexual conduct or motive and no risk of future sexual offense, application of the sex offender label cannot be justified on the ground that a defendant may pose a risk of future sexual misconduct and there is no further administrative burden in reaching that conclusion. Applying SORA to defendant violates his due process rights by impinging on his liberty interest to be free of the improper designation and registration as a sex offender. 3. Revisiting Knox. Separately, 
I write for myself and Chief Judge Wilson that automatic registration for non-prints convicted of child abduction and unlawful imprisonment of a minor where the crime involves no sexual act or motivation and who present no risk of sexual threat to children is facially unconstitutional. To the extent Knox holds otherwise we would overrule it. Knox correctly concluded that where a non-print defendant who kidnaps or unlawfully imprisons a minor poses a risk of future sexual harm, the legislature had a legitimate basis for mandating the defendant's registration as a sex offender. But Knox had no analytically sound basis for its conclusion that the legislature had a legitimate basis for requiring defendants whose crimes lack any sexual component and pose no risk of future sexual harm to children to be designated and registered as a sex offender. Recent federal district court decisions have so held, putting the continued application of Knox to this class of defendants in question, see Eunice v. Robinson, Pennington v. Rosado. Moreover, the stigma attached to the sex offender designation recognized by the court in Knox has increased in severity and impact with the expanded use of the SOAR registry by the public. And the concerns raised by the court regarding administrative burdens have not materialized, as courts readily distinguish sex offenders from other criminals. A. Under stare decisis principles, a case may be overruled only when there is a compelling justification for doing so, People v. Becky, quoting People v. Lopez. A compelling justification may arise when the court's prior holding leads to an unworkable rule, or, creates more questions than it resolves citing People v. Taylor, or when a pre-existing rule, once thought defensible, no longer serves the ends of justice or withstands the cold light of logic and experience, citing Policano v. Herbert. Generally, a court should not apply stare decisis as rigidly unconstitutional as in non-constitutional cases, Taylor, quoting Glidden Company v. Stenock. For the reasons I discuss, the Knox Court's conclusion that the legislature may designate as sex offenders all persons convicted of an attempted or completed act of child kidnapping and unlawful imprisonment, even when a defendant poses no sexual risk of harm to children, does not serve the ends of justice. Such designation imposes a harm of constitutional proportions on a defendant that poses no risk without furthering SOAR's public safety purpose. B. The Knox analysis is doctrinally flawed and lacks a relevant factual predicate. First, the Knox court misunderstood the liberty interest at stake in cases where a person is treated as guilty of having committed an offense involving sexual misconduct or motivation when, in fact, they are innocent of such crime, and pose no risk to the general public. That defendant's interest is not simply the right to avoid being mislabeled, it is the right not to be treated guilty of a crime the individual never committed. Put another way, a defendant has an interest in retaining the status of a non-sex offender. The difference matters because our criminal law system depends on the proper finding of guilt as related to the actual criminal behavior for which the individual is accused. Indeed, our system treats crimes differently based on the seriousness of the crime and the scope of public harm that flows from a particular criminal action, see Penal Law Sections 70.00, 70.02, classifying felonies and violent felonies and setting the maximum sentences by class, 70.15, maximum sentences for misdemeanors and violations. The misclassification as a sex offender has severe consequences. Although some amount of stigma results from the simple fact of a criminal conviction, the extent of that stigma flows from the nature of the particular crime committed. For example, 
The stigma attached to a conviction for burglary is not the same as the stigma attached to a conviction for child sexual assault. Sex offenders are societal pariahs. More than name-calling by public officials, a sex offender label is a determination of status that can have a considerable adverse impact on an individual's ability to live in a community, People v. David W., citing Paul v. Davis. As the experiences of convicted sex offenders, has shown, widespread public dissemination of an individual's sex offender status and other personal information is likely to carry with it shame, humiliation, ostracism, loss of employment and decreased opportunities for employment, perhaps even physical violence, and a multitude of other adverse consequences, Dovi Pataki. The consequences of community notification are unlimited and the stigma created by, SOAR registration, pervades into every aspect of an offender's life, Dovi Pataki. In the years since this court decided Knox, that stigma has only expanded in scope and severity affecting a sex offender's ability to find and retain employment and housing, and limiting their efforts to re-enter society and to engage with family and friends, it consigns them to years, if not a lifetime, of existence on the margins. For example, at the time Knox was decided, the sex offender registry was searchable by name. In 2015, a renter screening site debuted an online tool compiling data from the public registry into a map searchable by neighborhood. Viewing NYC, this map shows you every registered sex offender in the city, available at https colon slash slash viewing dot nyc slash this map shows you every registered sex offender in the city slash. The site explained that, for example, if you live on the Lower East Side, you couldn't see all the offenders near you. Until now. Similar map tools searchable by address or zip code are available now on other websites such as Offender Radar. Offender Radar, National Offender Registry, and Offender Resource Center, available at https colon slash slash www.offenderradar.com slash. Such tools make identifying offenders in a particular area easier and increase the risk of vigilante violence against sex offenders, see Matt Clark, Vigilantes Assault, Rob, and Murder Registered Sex Offenders. Prison Legal News, available at https colon slash slash www.prisonlegalnews.org slash news slash 2017 slash may slash 5 slash vigilantes assault robin murder registered sex offenders slash discussing more than 10 examples of vigilante attacks against actual and suspected sex offenders between 2005 and 2017. Given the impact of a sex offender designation, there should be no room for error in classification. The label must be limited to those who are actual sex offenders, as society understands that term, those persons who pose a risk to public safety of sexual recidivism against vulnerable members of our population. Indeed, proper identification of these criminal actors is the constitutional justification for sex offender registries, see Smith v. Doe, an imposition of restrictive measures on sex offenders adjudged to be dangerous is a legitimate non-punitive governmental objective, to protect the public from harm, citing Kansas v. Hendricks the state may take measures to restrict the freedom of, individuals who present a danger to the public. This is a legitimate non-punitive governmental objective and has been historically so regarded. The Knox Court concluded that a defendant's right not to be mislabeled as a sex offender was outweighed by the greater concern of ensuring that no person who places a child at risk for sexual assault slips through the cracks and escapes SOAR registration. 
This conclusion ignores that our Constitution does not tolerate wrongful criminal designations. A sex offender may indeed be a child predator and therefore suffer no injustice by bearing one label instead of the other as Knox opined but a person convicted of a crime that lacks any sexual act or motivation and who poses absolutely no sexual threat against children is not a child predator for purposes of SORA or any other purpose. That person suffers a true injustice by being designated a sex offender. C. The Knox Court was also incorrect that SOAR's designation as sex offenders of defendants convicted of attempted or completed child kidnapping and unlawful imprisonment crimes survives rational basis review. The Court's reasons for concluding that the legislature had a rational basis for labeling persons who do not merit a sex offender designation studies showing a potential risk of sexual abuse during non-family abductions and the administrative burden of identifying defendants convicted of kidnapping and imprisonment of children who pose no risk of sexual harm to children, do not support such broad application to defendants who are not sexual threats to the public. The two studies cited in Knox refer to the percentages of non-family abductions that involve actual sexual assaults and therefore do not support a sex offender designation for those persons who, in fact, have not committed or attempted a sexual crime against a child and who the court finds do not pose a risk of committing one in the future. In addition, recent studies show that the vast majority of abductions are committed by parents and not the class of defendants covered by the SORA provisions at issue in this appeal. Wallach, Finkelor, and Sedlock, child victims of stereotypical kidnappings known to law enforcement in 2011, U.S. Department of Justice, Juvenile Justice Bulletin, June 2016, Finkelor et al., Family Abduction in a National Sample of U.S. Children, 67 Child Abuse and Neglect 403, May 2017 https colon slash slash www.sciencedirect.com slash science slash article slash app slash p slash so 1452134163025999 correction law section 168a 2 a i the administrative burden justification also fails the rational basis test this concern is wholly a creation of the knox court the prosecution did not raise this as a ground in any of the three appeals, and there is no legislative history to suggest the legislature saw this alleged problem. Indeed, it is hard to square the Knox Court's conclusion that it is simply too difficult and burdensome to accurately distinguish non-sex offenders from sex offenders, and defendants who pose no risk to the community of future sex crimes from defendants who present a risk of sexual recidivism when distinguishing criminals from non-criminals is exactly the work of the criminal legal system. Indeed, the board and the SOAR court are tasked with of the individual assessment of a defendant's risk, based on the available information and upon findings of fact, Correction Law Section 168 Leader. Nor does the sex offender registration of a person who poses no risk of sexual harm to children further the goals of SORA and the interests of the community. The purpose of SORA is simple to protect the public from sex offenders, people v. Mingo. The legislative history makes clear that protection of the public from the danger of recidivism posed by sex offenders, especially sexually violent offenders, is of paramount concern or interest to the government and that the sex offender registry is meant to aid law enforcement agencies and the justice system in identifying, investigating, apprehending and prosecuting those offenders, Doe. Thus, the purpose of SORA is clearly to track those who are actual sex offenders it is not intended as a registry of anyone who commits a crime.
populating the registry with the names and information of individuals who do not pose a danger to children of sexual recidivism undermines the usefulness of the registry and wastes government resources on tracking people who are not the intended targets of SORA nor implicate the public risk and law enforcement needs that first necessitated SORA registries, Eunice, citing People v. Diaz, Pennington, 2022, see also Senate Introducers Mem in Support, Bill Jacket. L1995 CH192 at 19-20, sexual offenses and sexual assault are among the most heinous of crimes and often the victims are those least able to protect and defend themselves, children. By establishing a tracking-slash-notification system local law enforcement agencies will be able to identify and monitor sex offenders. At the time Knox was decided, three of the four other state courts that had considered the issue had reached a contrary conclusion. State v. Robinson, American Civ. Liberties Union of NMV City of Albuquerque, State v. Rainey. Knox declined to follow those cases and instead followed People v. Johnson, where the Illinois Supreme Court upheld their version of SORA under rational basis review. But as the dissent in Johnson points out, the Illinois legislature amended its SORA while that appeal was pending, making kidnapping a sex offense only where the offense was sexually motivated. Burke, J., dissenting, Citing Ill Pub Act 94-945 Section 2, B, 1.5. The amendment also created a new registry for offenders who commit certain violent crimes, including aggravated kidnapping of a child by a non-parent, when those crimes are committed without sexual motivation. Such offenders will not, however, be a registered sex offender. Given that new legislation, which did not make a non-sexually motivated kidnapping a sex offense, Knox's reliance on Johnson was inapt. 4. If all this were not reason enough to revisit Knox, there are recent federal decisions rejecting the Knox analysis for this class of defendants. So long as Knox remains the law, defendant and others similarly situated will have meritorious grounds for federal relief, as did the petitioners in Eunice and Pennington, who likewise committed kidnapping offenses with no sexual motivation. The magistrate judge in Eunice agreed with the petitioner that the Knox court had failed to appreciate the costs of sex offender registration and acknowledged that a sex offender label comes with profound stigma, a long list of filing requirements, employment prohibitions, both de jure and de facto, residency restrictions, and other civil disabilities, as well as a host of expanded criminal risks, including state and federal penalties for failure to register. Given those devastating consequences, the court could not conclude that due process is satisfied by a statistical showing that 46% of the kidnappers placed on the sex offender registry, a group which did not include the plaintiff at bar deserved to be there. The court also rejected that the administrative burden of determining which kidnappers are sex offenders makes it rational for the state of New York to subject the petitioner to 20 years of public opprobrium, after conceding that, for him, the term is unmerited. District Court Judge Allison Nathan, now sitting on the Second Circuit, agreed and adopted the report and recommendation, finding the slipping through the cracks argument insufficient to provide a rational basis for imposing extensive civil and stigmatizing burdens, see also Pennington, holding that the state may impose a designation that is rationally related to any non-sexual risk the petitioner might pose to children but may not subject him to a specifically stigmatizing designation and restrictions designed to prevent sexual abuse.
According to the court, even if such a rational basis existed, no further administrative effort is required where the absence of a sexual element is undisputed. Under stare decisis principles, these federal court decisions provide a reason to reconsider and overturn Knox for this class of defendants that pose no risk of sexual harm to children. The analysis by the federal courts is persuasive and thus Knox's pre-existing rule, once thought defensible, no longer serves the ends of justice or withstands the cold light of logic and experience, Policano. Moreover, given the federal rulings, the Knox rule is unworkable as it leads to increased litigation in federal court. There is simply no legitimate interest served by a rule that requires individuals like defendant to exhaust a constitutional challenge in state court or seek federal relief, all while bearing the sex offender label, which, upon success in federal court, will be belatedly removed, although the stigma it brings can never be fully erased. Defendants have a liberty interest in not being misclassified as a sex offender and required to register under SORA. And while defendants are clearly harmed by this misclassification, there is no countervailing public benefit from a rule that does not achieve the SORA provision's child safety purpose, and even undermines that purpose by making the registry less reliable. Judicial inertia in the face of logic, reason and evidence of the mismatch between the legislative goal and the means adopted is indefensible. We would overrule Knox to the extent it upholds that mismatch and hope that it will not be long before a majority of the court agrees. 5. Defendant stands convicted of a crime that lacks a sexual act or motive. The Sora court found that he is not a sex offender and is not a sexual threat. Under these circumstances, and unlike the defendants in Knox, application of Sora's sex offender designation and registration requirement to defendant is a clear violation of his due process rights. Accordingly, the order of the appellate division should be reversed, with costs, and Defendant's Sex Offender Registration Act designation vacated. Order reversed, with costs, and Defendant's Sex Offender Registration Act designation vacated. Opinion by Judge Rivera. Chief Judge Wilson concurs. Judges Troutman and Halligan concur in result for reasons stated in Sections 1, 2 and 5 of the opinion. Judge Canataro dissents and votes to affirm in an opinion, in which Judges Garcia and Singas concur. Decided November 21, 2023. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by Voice Pods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law www.nypti.org slash law